0: Your Bibles and uh, open up to Ephesians chapter 5 with me this, during this time. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to continue our series of talks focusing on the Holy Spirit, um, where we're really seeking to grasp or to comprehend uh, the person, the gifting, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, while also try, striving to understand how we can walk in the Spirit. And so that's, uh, we, two weeks ago, we looked at John 14 through 16 and specifically sought to, to understand that the, the Spirit is personal. Everyone say personal. And then the, the other reality, the other truth we talked about in John 14 through 16 is that the Spirit is, in fact, God. Everyone say God. And that was really important foundationally for us to understand uh, the rest of uh, the work of the Spirit. And then last week we talked specifically about the gifting of the Spirit and that how that distinguishes itself from natural abilities that anyone may have, but specifically that the gifting of the Spirit is expressions of faith with the purpose or the aim to increase the faith of others. And, uh, today we're going to, we're going to extend our conversation on the work of the Spirit, not only His gifting, but more specifically His filling work. The filling work of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, if you get nothing else out of today, uh, I want you to walk away with this challenge, and I believe it, It easily summarizes what we're going to talk about this evening, but it also is extremely challenging. And that main idea is this, whether trying to control or out of control, Scripture calls me to give control to the one who's in control. Okay? So whether I feel in my current state of being in my life right now that things are out of control... Or I feel like I've got this under wraps. I'm in control of this. Regardless of what state I'm in. Scripture calls me to hand over control. To the one who's in control. And we're going to understand better how this relates to the filling work of the Spirit, but I want to read Scripture first and develop the rest out of what we see there. So I'm actually going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 21, and I want you to follow along with me, and then we're actually just going to primarily focus on one verse in the midst of that, but I want you to see, I want you to really grasp and understand the context that it surrounds this one verse. So starting in verse one, it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for christ heavenly father as we take a look at this text today and specifically verse 18 may you clarify this and bring uh, clarity to the work the filling work of your spirit in our lives as followers of jesus may that recognition and our application thereafter glorify you above all else we pray in jesus name amen Now, specifically as we look throughout this whole of Ephesians 5, you see multiple commands. In verse 1, it says, be imitators of God. That's a command. It's an exhortation. In verse 2, it exhorts to walk in love. In verse 7, it says, do not become partners with them, them being those who practice darkness. In verse 8, it says, walk as children of light. Verse 15 says, look carefully how you walk. And verse 17 says, do not be foolish, understand the will of the Lord. All these exhortations one after another. And then we have this exhortation that in some ways stands out as we see this pattern of walking in Christ, walking in love, doing this shining light, be children of light. And then it says in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we're going to pause a moment, and we're actually going to do some grammar study. I know you guys are so excited about this. The specifics of this verse have profound implications for how we interpret that. And so I want to pause for a minute, and instead of blowing past this and seeking to jump right to understanding and grasping with, why does it matter to me? I want us to to understand everything that's packed into this one portion of a sentence in verse 18. And so we're going to start by looking specifically at interpretive elements of this. The interpretation of this as we evaluate the structure of this verse. And you'll see why this is so important as we unpack that a little further. And so the first thing we, we need to recognize about the structure of this is that... Each one of these, specifically, um, do not get drunk and be filled with the Spirit, is an imperative. It's the mood in which that word functions is imperative. Everyone say imperative. And this is just a big word to emphasize that it expresses a command. Now, this is kind of unique as we look at the work of the Spirit because the exhortation or the command is too the subject in other words you do not get drunk with wine but you be filled with the spirit and this shifts and we're going to talk about more how this uh, how this looks in comparison to phrases like baptism in the spirit or the indwelling of the spirit and how that should shift our thinking when we encounter oh the phrase um, be filled And depending on what tradition that you have grown up in, you have probably seen or heard variations of how we are to understand the work of the Spirit. And we're going to talk more about that. But first off, recognizing this is an imperative. It's an exhortation to us. Secondly, this imperative is also in the present tense. Now, as we evaluate specifically the Greek language, present imperatives imply a ongoing, continuous action. That is, when this states in a uh, present tense imperative that we are to be filled with the Spirit, it is not a once and done entity, but rather it is be filled and keep being filled. More specifically, you be always being filled by the Holy Spirit. Continuously, at any time, be filled. In other words, this should not be something that we look at and we say, Yes, I've been filled by the Spirit. Check the box and move on. But there's more here. The third observation as we look at interpretation of this is that this present imperative is passive. Everyone say passive. Now, in Greek language, I'm going to give you a brief Greek language study. Okay, There are three voices. Active, middle, and passive. The active voice interpreted is that the subject produces the action. One of the most familiar examples of this is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God is the subject and He's the one doing the acting. That's active. Now, in the middle voice, the subject produces the action and receives the results. Both. Now, as an example of that, just to give you an idea of a Scripture passage that uses the middle voice, I'm just going to read to you briefly Mark 14:67, And you can just jot this down and look at that later as a reference point for middle voice in Scripture. Mark 14, verse 67, which says, And seeing Peter... This is when Peter is outside the courtyard and is about to deny Jesus. It says, In seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. So Peter is both doing the action of warming himself and receiving the result of that action in receiving the warmth. Okay, That would be middle voice. But passive voice, Voice in this context means that the subject is acted upon. And so we see a really interesting correlation here that we're exhorted, we're commanded to be filled by the Spirit, and yet to understand that we, in and of ourselves, cannot produce the filling of the Spirit of our own power. It's passive, it's something that happens to us, not something that we do actively on our own. Now, the fourth aspect of this when we're looking at interpretation is that this present passive imperative is plural. Everyone say plural. And this means exactly what you would assume plural means in that this Exhortation and this concept of the filling of the Spirit is not reserved for one individual person. It's not reserved for some kind of spiritually elite, but rather it's for all people. Everyone say all. Now I want to preface that a minute and say that as we talked about last week that the presence of the Spirit was promised by Jesus to whom? His disciples, those who have believed in the name of Jesus to be saved, who have chosen to follow Christ. And so when we see a plural here and understand that Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, we should also understand that this command to be filled by the Spirit, this concept of being filled by the Spirit, is not just something that's available right now to Everyone, 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 but is specifically there for the empowering of the church for God's purposes. And this ties right back into our understanding of giftedness. If the spiritual giftedness is for the purpose of expressing faith with the aim to increase faith, then it logically follows that as we consider the filling work of the Spirit, it ties and does not contradict The gifting of the Spirit with the same focus. So it's present. It's present tense. It's imperative. It's a command. It's passive. It's plural. But now I want to shift away from this interpretive side to the implications of this. So there's interpretation of this where we understand the structure that's taking place here. Specifically in verse 18. And now there's implications of this as we understand the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. And the first implication here is that baptism of the Spirit happens once. The filling of the Spirit can happen multiple times. Baptism of the Spirit happens once filling of the spirit can happen multiple times ongoing continuous action is focused on the filling of the spirit not the baptism of the spirit or what we would might recognize as rebirth in the spirit now a couple passages i'm just going to have up here on the screen just to reference this in John 7:39 It says, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Catch that right there. That little phrase when we talk about the spirit is for those who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. There is a passage in scripture that directly references that. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, this speaking specifically of the baptism or the indwelling of the Spirit had not yet taken place because Jesus had not yet finished his work. This goes to John 14 where Jesus said, It's good that I'm going to go away so the Helper will come to you. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So you see a correlation there again. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now, this there's a very, very big difference here between the dwelling in of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, and the filling of the Spirit as we see commanded in Ephesians 5. A third text is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, some of you are looking at these and going, okay, I see this instance of the spirit dwelling in you, but where is this concept of multiple fillings? Everyone say, where is it at? In Acts chapter 2, we see an example of this. And Acts chapter 2 is the first place that we see both baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit as it seeks to accomplish the purposes of Christ. And in Acts chapter 2, specifically in verse 4, It says, and they were, they being, speaking of the disciples, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay? Now, if we fast forward a little bit to Acts 4.31, it says, again, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So it happened in Acts 2. It happened again in Acts 4. Now, if we look even further, a little bit more, in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. This is specifically speaking of Saul, or who we know as Paul, after the book of Acts. And in chapter 9, verse 17, it says, So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we fast forward some more to Acts 13, Acts chapter 13, verse 9, it says, But Saul, who was also called Paul... Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now, if we were to correlate and say that baptism in the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit is the same as the filling of the Spirit, then either Ananias failed to do what he was set out to do, God didn't follow through in his mission he sent Ananias to do, or the filling of the Spirit can happen multiple times. Okay? Now the second thing as we think about the implications of this is that baptism in the Spirit seals you. The filling of the Spirit empowers you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit on our hearts as a guarantee. The sealing. Second Corinthians 5.5 5 says, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a Guarantee. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, "...in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory." Filling of the Spirit is not always, get this, is not always the result of being baptized or indwelt by the Spirit, But those who have been baptized in the Spirit are commanded or exhorted to be filled. Now, the question practically might be, what does that look like? And so I'm going to do my best to illustrate this in a couple ways, okay? So, this milk represents you, okay? And when I believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, and I recognize my need for a Savior, the Spirit in dwells me and is part of who I am now, but that does not mean that I am filled with the Spirit. It means the Spirit has in dwelt me. Now, something specific might cause that to stir in me the work of the Spirit, and all of a sudden, who I am begins to change and transform and how many of you prefer chocolate milk over white milk? I see a lot of you. Everyone say that's transformational. Okay? There's a difference there between simply having the indwelling of the Spirit and the activating, the filling, the empowering to where it becomes so much more than just indwelt in me. Now, As I was thinking about that specific portion, I thought, this falls short in some ways because now that that is stirred up and complete, I can't take it back to the other way. And so another way that we might illustrate this more specifically is here, where the Spirit indwells us and we see that the Spirit becomes a part of our lives, and yet we recognize that there's a war that's waging inside of me between that of my flesh and what the Spirit is seeking to do in me to move me to become more like Christ. And so as I become stirred in a moment to God empowering me for a specific circumstance, as that stirring is taking place... There's a oneness that happens between my flesh and my spirit to accomplish that which God's called me to. But sadly, occasionally, we will stop that stirring and we will go about our own way and do our own thing. And this separation, this war continues until we actively, in accordance with what Scripture says, Seek to be filled again and every day return to that point of saying I want this to be more than a separation between who I am in my spirit and who I am in my flesh. And that has to be repeated over and over and over because I am not yet glorified and complete as I'm intended to be in Christ. So how do we apply this? Well, the cool thing about this passage in Scripture is that it gives us the application point and illustrates it for us right before we talk about, in verse 18, the command to be filled with the Spirit. Because there's another command there that contrasts this, and it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the first application point we can grasp out of this is the call to allow the Spirit to control me, not some external substance. And there's a reason that Paul uses the illustration of wine here and being drunk. Now I would assume that many of you have experienced seeing someone who has been completely intoxicated By any given substance. And when that happens, what takes place? They lose control. They lose control of their thoughts. They lose control of what they say. They lose control of their actions oftentimes. And then they regret and at times don't even remember or recall what took place. And so the contrast that Scripture is revealing here is don't let something external control who you are and what you're doing. Rather, be filled by the Spirit and allow Him to control who you are, what decisions you make, and where you're going. Now, as a further note on this, Scripture is not somehow telling us That we should, in the Spirit, lose control as if we were drunk. Because the Spirit of God moves with purpose and intentionality. And as we talked about last week, is always seeking and aiming to glorify God, not the one who possesses the gift. And so at any point in time, as Scripture calls us to test the spirits to see if they're actually from God, we should actively be asking the question, is someone's expression, whether it's identified as spirit-filled or not, glorifying God or something else? And as we consider the, the challenge here, the application that I should be allowing the Spirit of God to control me, not some external substance... What keeps us from being filled? There's many things. Being filled with fear keeps us from being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with doubt. Being filled with grief. Being filled with anger. Being filled with, you fill in the blank. If the filling of the Spirit is a passive action that is done by the divine, then what active role do I play in fulfilling the exhortation in Ephesians 5? And that's the daily, conscious, always developing action of being open to surrendering to, yielding to the Spirit's control over my thoughts, my decisions, and the entirety of my life. Not losing control, but giving control over to the one who's in control. Biblically, there's four specific things that keep us from being filled by the Spirit. One of those is grieving the Spirit, doing that which the Spirit directly has identified we shouldn't do, quenching the Spirit. First Thessalonians 5 talks about this, where we quench the working of the Spirit in our lives, and over time, you quench that and quench that and quench that. The Spirit's influence and impact in your life gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And some of you may experience that today, where you're like, I, I want to be filled by the Spirit. I just don't know what, what, why I can't. I, 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 don't, I don't understand why I just feel f- distant. Another thing that keeps us from being filled by the Spirit is failing to be involved in the work of ministry in any context. And that's in no means a way of me saying that you need to serve right here in this place in order to be filled by the Spirit. But rather, God, if we believe He's gifted each follower of Christ with a gift of the Spirit, we should also believe that if we're not actively pursuing the giftedness in which He's given to us, that the filling of the Spirit is not going to come in the same way. The fourth thing is failing to live by the Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. How do we walk in the Spirit? Understanding these things. How do we practically do that? What does that look like? And so the final application point is we close in this. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we prepared to close our time together. But I want you to think about this. It's a challenge to recognize and admit to the areas of my life where I have not actively sought the Spirit's filling. The areas of my life where I've not actively sought the filling of the Spirit to take control and guide me and lead me. Some may be completely void of the Spirit. And yet, the Spirit of God, even now, is calling you to repentance and surrender. And that can be found in Jesus, in Christ alone. Some may have grieved and quenched the Spirit's work in your life, and you are still clutching for control, unwilling to let go of that. And the Spirit is prompting and calling you to let go of control and let me lead whether trying to control or out of control scripture calls me to give control to the one who's in control who is in control of your life right now who guides who do you look to when you don't have the answer What's the first place you go? The command of Scripture is that we would allow the Spirit to guide and lead us. And when we aren't sure what that looks like, praise God that He's given us His Word as concrete truth that we can come back to and identify what God's called us to. And we believe that the Spirit is in fact God and dwelt in those who claim the name of Jesus then when we read a command of Scripture and we wonder what the Spirit is going to call us to and fill us to do, it's going to line up in here. Who's in control of your life today? Father, as we consider this now, may we be challenged by the reality that we are either destined to seek to control our own lives or to allow you to guide, control, and lead us in the way that you've called us. So may we recognize the areas where we uh, have not allowed Your Spirit to take control. And may we walk into this with a heart and a desire to model Christ, to grow in our understanding of the Spirit, and to allow Him to fill us for the work that You've put in front of us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.